everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, so for those that, uh, I guess if you're listening to this, you figured it out that we are back. Uh, More Than One Lesson is back. Um, it is not, it's not a guarantee that we're going to be doing an episode or even a mini-sode every week. We will do what we can, but uh, I need to, uh, I, I'm not supposed to jump into this too uh, too quickly. So uh, thank you for your continued patience. I did want to let everybody know before we get started that this episode is brought to you by Faith Life TV. Now, here's the thing. Uh, they specifically emailed and told me that I got to tell you guys about this documentary called Fragments of Truth. Uh, it is going to be featured on the Faith Life website, but it is also going to be shown nationwide as a Fathom event. Uh, on Tuesday, April 24th, uh, and it is one night only. Uh, I've been actually uh, partaking of a lot of Fathom events lately. I went and saw the Philadelphia story. I recently saw Vertigo. Uh, Fathom puts out some good stuff. And so um, Fragments of Truth is um, a documentary in which Dr. Craig Evans searches uh, for answers to the ever-present and challenging question, can we really trust the Bible? Along the way, he highlights groundbreaking new evidence, demonstrating that the case for the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts is stronger than ever. So uh, you will be able to find that at the Faith Life website, but do come out on April 24th, go to the Fathom Events website and find out more details about that. And uh, yeah, check it out. All right. But we are here, by we I mean me and my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hey, good. We are here to talk about the best picture of 2017. The best picture of 2017, you're right. Listeners, did you, did you miss Josh? I sure did. I missed you, listeners. <laughs> Lessoners. Been a long That's time right. Since we said that, I know we got to get back into that uh, along with everything else. <laughs> um, uh, I also did want to uh, remind everybody that um, over at morethanonelesson.com, uh, on the fear of God, they have kicked off a series on Guillermo del Toro, and they are talking about the devil's backbone. And then uh, Bob Connolly has written a review of Armando Iannucci's The Death of Stalin, which I actually saw uh, only recently, and I find it to be a delightful film. Uh, okay, so the best film of 2017. Josh, what was it? Um, the best film of 2017. That's right. Oh, that's a different question. I didn't think that's what we were talking about. I wasn't prepared. Oh, okay. Oh, you know I'm what? Go How about with... instead, let's go with the official Academy Best Picture. Well, all right. What is it? Um, according to my oh, for Pete's sake, I was just I gave you an I gave you a perfect transition. I, I just talked about Guillermo del Toro's. Oh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, he uh, had something to do with. It. Oh, there it is. It's The Shape of Water. That's right, The Shape of Water, uh, winner of Best Picture, Director, Original Score, and Production Design, uh, written by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor, starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, Michael Stuhlbarg, our friend Doug Jones, and Nick Searcy. So, um, all right. Who's Vanessa Taylor? I don't know that name. I right don't away. either. It, it sounds made up. It sounds like Guillermo del Toro didn't want to just have a lone writing credit. So he made up somebody who's mm -hmm. like, uh, what's the exact opposite name of Guillermo del Toro? Vanessa Taylor. That's it. <laughs> um, that, sounds Maybe that was mean. his, that was his, uh, 
pen name for a while. <laughs> exactly. going, Who's this Vanessa Taylor? <laughs> keeps sending us these. And why is her name so forgettable? <laughs> um, but yeah, so The Shape of Water, uh, a film that uh, listeners of Battleship Pretension know that I'm not the biggest fan of it. There's a lot of stuff I like about it. I do think that, of course, the film is visually beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, mu- the music is really quite beautiful. I think the performances are great. I'm a big fan of Sally Hawkins. I've been a fan of hers since Mike Lee's Happy Go Lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you ever see it? I didn't. It's a really great film. I covered it on this show many, many years ago with our friend uh, Bobo. It's a film that I highly recommend. And that's what put her on my radar. And then I was happy that she continued to get good work. She was in Blue Jasmine mm-hmm. uh, and Paddington. And mm. now she is in this. And my hope is that this springboards her into further uh, success. But, uh, but I think the performances all around her are quite good. But I do think that there are some script issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. Listeners who might have read my Politico article in which I was talking about the, the, the best picture nominees know that um, I tend to be a little bit, um, not a little bit immensely is what I meant to say. (laughs) I tend to be immensely critical of uh, my fellow conservatives who look at movies first politically Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, artistically. But with The Shape of Water, uh, I see what they mean. Uh, Most of the conservatives that I uh, listen to and many of the ones that I know uh, are willing to say that the film is quite visually beautiful, that it it does have some really solid performances, but that politically um, it it is not merely left-leaning, but it's, it's everything that the political conversation is right now. It's very much about... I, you know, kind of identity politics. It's all about demographics. It's less about specific uh, issues. Not that anybody want. not that Guillermo del Toro should make a movie about issues, you know, <laughs> like here's what he thinks about the minimum wage. Like that's a, we- that's a weird Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the idea that uh, the villain played, I think very ably by Michael Shannon, I would have liked to see more shape, more nuance to his character, but that, uh, you know, he's everything that we're meant to dislike right now. He's, if you'll pardon me, he's white, he's male, he wears a suit, he works for the government, he quotes scripture, like he's a little bit racist, mm-hmm. and he, he's just all of these things rolled up into one. And I recognize that he's not necessarily meant to be like uh, a, a caricature of a Christian. It's more he's meant to I- evoke a certain status quo of the time, Mm -hmm. which is the fifties and sixties and that sort of thing. So I've heard that and I understand it, but I also feel like they could have done it in a way that was more sympathetic or, or empathetic to him. I feel like they could have changed the way his, they they could have changed his end to be something more tragic. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I think the, the script needs some work. I also didn't a hundred percent believe the romance. I feel like they needed one or two more scenes, uh, between, uh, the character Eliza and the amphibian man played by our friend Doug Jones. But, uh, but yeah. And so I, I'm not usually one to let that kind of thing 
keep me from enjoying the movie. I still found it to be very uh, engrossing with some really beautiful imagery. And I still was able to allow myself to get involved in the emotions that the characters are feeling, specifically the main character. But it just, I was kind of at arm's length uh, from it. And, you know, some people have said like, oh, this is Guillermo del Toro's masterpiece. And to me, it's, I feel like the film beautiful though it is, I feel like it doesn't even hold a candle to Pan's Labyrinth. Um, but that's me. So, so that's my take, Josh, what's your take? I mean, I think it's the, the greatest film. Oh of boy. All time. This is, this so, is uncomfortable. Um, that's not true. I don't think that. Oh, okay. why, why would I think that's, a, that's a ridiculous thing to think. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Some people do. So, uh, I don't know. I, it's one of those films that I came out of being like, oh, there's a lot I liked about that, but it didn't yeah. come out real wild. And especially when you're hearing people talking about it, like saying it's his masterpiece and everything like that, then you're kind of expecting uh, more out of it. And I was a little bit surprised it made the traction that it did on, you know, in the awards yeah. circuit and everything like that. The more it, it won, the more I thought, oh, okay, I guess everybody's been looking at this uh, more seriously than I would have, that I would have thought. Yeah. Um, and not to say that it doesn't deserve a lot of those accolades. I think I feel like in almost every technical aspect, I think it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I think it looks, looks beautiful. The, the production design is great. The, the cinematography is great. The, the costumes are great. Um, and I think those things are all working together very well. Like sometimes one of those is great, but they're all, held together very well. And that's part of that is that that's one part of the directing that is working very well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think there's, there's, it's, there's so much consistency. It creates such a, a, a unique world. It feels cause it, <clears throat> excuse me. It definitely sets itself in, the fifties, but it's almost kind of like an alternate fifties. Like it, I, I think it's supposed to be the early sixties. Like 60s. I think, okay. Ken, or like, I think Kennedy either just became president or he's about to Did they say something about Kennedy. I believe I so. Yes. That. Okay. Um, but it still feels like it's almost like parallel universe version yes. of the early sixties. Um, which is cool. And I think is intentional, but it's not too obvious. Right. It's not like in this world, there's also flying cars. You know, sometimes they'll do that thing where there's like, they want to show you that it's clearly a parallel version. Yeah. And I think this, this tries to do that so that it can retain a kind of fable quality to it. No question. Yes. Um, without making it about that. I'm reminded, did you ever see the movie babe? Yes. Okay. Um, and babe Two: pig in the city, which is a great movie. I yeah. like both of them, but I think I like babe <laughs> Two more partially because I think it's just darker and weirder, but mm-hmm. both films, uh, one of them takes place primarily on this farm and the other in the city. And both of them are these very odd. I'm reluctant to say expressionistic, but I'll use the, I'll use that term. Like they're a little bit expressionistic. Like this isn't like, it's a, there's a, a phrase that I've used before. Um, the farm in babe is like the essence of a farm. 
rather than a farm you've actually been to or seen. Okay. Yeah. And the city in Babe Pig in the City is like the essence of a city in the same way that like, you know, Metropolis uh, is. Right. Metropolis, the movie, not from comic books. Um, <laughs> and and so much of of the world created in um, The Shape of Water is, okay, we've got a laboratory it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that no lab has ever looked like this, mm-hmm. except of course, maybe in the universal monster films of the, of the thirties and forties. Sure. Like, yeah. so, and then the movie theater is everything is seen through a, a certain type of nostalgia, but a very cinematic type of nostalgia. Like it's, it's an alternate reality where the stuff depicted in movies, which is like boiled down, but also made more ornate everything that we've seen in film is now a reality here. Yeah. Like no movie theater has really ever looked like that where it's just the right amount of dilapidated where it's got a lot of character. Mm-hmm. Um, same with her apartment and the diner. Like yeah. it, it, the diner reminded me of the, 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 what is it? The pie hole from pushing daisies. Like it's mm-hmm. a very specific type of look that is part German expressionism, Part of like Jean-Pierre Genet or something. No question about that. Yeah. Definitely got an Amelie vibe for a lot of them. That bothered Jen so much. Really? She just said like, (laughs) she's like, I'd rather just be watching Amelie if they're going to do this. Um, (laughs) But yeah. And there, I'd say there's a slight influence of like steampunk in there as well. I feel Hmm. like just, but maybe only like with the way the the lab looks. Yeah. I can see that. Um, You know, a lot of like metal and bolts and rivets and <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah, I mean it, it won production design and rightfully so yeah. uh, it's, and, and the music, it does, it does all fit together. Like the performances are not full on realistic. They're all heightened just enough right. to match the world they're in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with you on that, uh, on that regard. Yeah. And I think, Similarly to you, I have I have issues with the script. I feel like all of that is kind of in service of a script, which <sighs> I was a little bit reluctant, or not reluctant, but uh, was feeling a little reticent coming into a conversation about this movie because I feel like talking about it more is going to make me like it less. Yeah, probably. Which I hate to do, but... Um, I definitely liked it less when I wrote that article. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- when you start thinking about it more from a very critical standpoint and not just a, what did I feel when I saw this movie? Right. Cause there's a few things that you feel when you watch the movie and you're like, that's nah, a little bit weird, but you can kind of let it go because of all this stuff. And then right. I think when you dig into those things, you're like, Oh, the reason that feels weird is probably because of a lot of flaws in the writing and the yeah. filmmaking and the attitude towards the project and the subject matter and everything. Right. So, and I feel like while I'm reticent to come away liking it less, I do think it's a little bit fascinating to just to talk about those things because so leading up to it and even the day after, um, every, after the Oscars, everybody was making jokes about, and sorry to be a little crass here, but, uh, having sex with fish. Yeah. So yeah, they're making jokes like Ben Shapiro called it like grinding Nemo, which, all right, it's <laughs> clever. Um, but yeah, like they reduced 
reduced it so much yeah to just that right which is unfair to the film yeah but it's interesting that that is a thing that many people came away from the film feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it yeah and i think that's i think if you're looking at it if you're you're taking away from the film any kind of political context or any kind of uh, larger cultural message. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at the script purely in terms of what happens and how people in, in a universal sense might respond to it, um, you would leave out the sex. Right. Yes. Because yes. I think that would be, that would make it more universal. That would, uh, uh, it wouldn't mean it would make it more comfortable. It's beauty and the beast without the sex. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but if you take out the sex, you're also taking out the larger political and cultural message that the filmmakers want to have in it. Right. So that's interesting that how that is this double-edged sword that kind of hurts the actual story, but helps the message. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, and I will say, I think that for some people, by helping the message for them, it is helping the story because the two are so intertwined, Maybe you know, and I'm sure there are some people for whom, because they don't like the message, even if there was no sex scene, even if it was just love between this amphibious man and this woman, uh, even if they were just, even if they only ever just embraced or something like that, I feel like people would still latch on to that and say, I don't like it because of this. And it, I think it's probably because of the message. But likewise, I think there are probably people who are like, oh, I really like its message. And thus any kind of issue that might come about because of the sex scene, any kind of narrative issue or character issue, I think they would, they would paper over that because they like what it's trying to do. Right. In the same way that a lot of Christian audience audiences might do with no question. A, a, a poorly written Christian film. Speaking of which, I guess you and I have to see, I can only imagine <laughs> it's making a lot of money. It is making like, a lot of money. I've heard you know. that. I heard, uh, I had some friends who saw it and said they thought it was not bad. Yeah. That's what I've, that's what I've heard as well. So I'm, I'm curious to see it, but, uh, you know, there, are, there are other movies out there. Right I, there. I feel like next time we do these, maybe we should try and like knock out three in one, like get, get your, <sighs> I can only imagine your apostle Paul and like one other thing all together. Well, there is a third, uh, uh yes, there is that one exactly is its own episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's going to have to be. Yeah. Um, <sighs> incidentally, welcome uh, back to more than one lesson. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like our, our, uh, our tagline or whatever you want to say, uh, it was movie talk for the discerning Christian. I think now it should just be a deep sigh. <laughs> um, but, uh, I did want to mention, cause I haven't said this, uh, before, cause we were kind of waiting to see what was going to, was going to happen. But, uh, uh, I'm actually going to be giving another talk at this year's International Christian Film Festival. Oh, uh, for a while, I was they were just going to have me on a panel called I Hate Christian Film. <laughs> was this panel your idea? No, it wasn't. Wow. Uh, but then they gave me the talk and took me off of the panel, which is like, oh, come on. I still need to be on that panel. But like a lot of the people on that panel, it's like, oh, like these are like people from Christian film. Like it's the dad from war room, you know, really like it's the festival has gotten big, hmm. you know, David A.R. White's going to be there again. Kirk Cameron's going to be there. Like a lot of, a lot of big Christian names are going to be there now. 
Um, and so good for the film festival. I'm yeah. glad that they're, they're getting big, but, uh, but yeah, so they gave me my own talk, which I had pitched to them as getting the message. That's and it, essentially it was the idea of how everything, not merely the story and characters, everything can be used to convey meaning and that sort of thing. Uh, but they didn't like that title. So they titled it without telling me, um, they titled it a movie isn't what it's about. It's how it's about it, which is a phrase that I've heard from Roger Ebert. Yeah. Um, and that I incorporated into my pitch. Okay. Uh, but so they went with that. I'm like, all right, well, we're just diving right in. I hope people show up. But anyway, so if you go to international CFF.org, I believe I didn't write it down. Sorry. If you just look up the international Christian film festival in Orlando, you can find out the details, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so come and see my, my talk. And, uh, I think I may try and finagle my way onto that panel. I think I, <laughs> you know, I think I might bad, uh, try to badger my way on there, be, but, uh, be interesting, but yeah, anyway, sorry, uh, enough of that. Yeah. So I think we were, <laughs> we were at, uh, talking about how people are okay. Looking past some flaws in it. If it, uh, in a film, if it has a message that they're yeah. on board with, yeah. um, which, uh, is always a, that's always a hard question to address because people come at that from both sides. It's easy for people yes. from the other side to say, well, you didn't like issue, you know, you didn't like some aspect of it because it presented a message that you don't like. Right. Um, and I, I think there are truth on both sides to both the good and the bad side of this particular, um, issue. So, yeah. um, who's to say, it's hard. It's hard to say how much maybe we might not like something in the message of it. So we're, we don't like the film. Absolutely. Um, but I, to me, part of the thing or part of the, uh, for me, the fact that so many people felt uncomfortable with and made jokes about the sex aspect of this film, yeah. regardless of how they felt about the message of the film, uh, politically. Right. Um, that makes me think that that is a little bit of a weakness in the film. I mean, they're like, Conan O'Brien type jokes about, yeah. it. you know, like everybody was making yeah. jokes about it. And you know, what's interesting is that that choice, the choice to have interspecies sex, mm -hmm. that is a very Guillermo del Toro choice. Yeah. But he rarely strikes the tone that he does in this film. Hmm. Like this is a very romantic in every sense of the word, romantic and romanticized tone. Right. His movies are usually like, really dark and not without hope, but dark and really willing to explore the darker side of humanity, the darker side of biology. His films are often very yeah. gross. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of incorporating a very odd type of sex into his film, I feel like that is a, an, an old instinct of his. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think I condemn him for following it, but I think I'm not sure if I would say it doesn't belong in the film. I was, I was okay with it, except that in the same way that like, okay, when, uh, all right, spoilers, everybody, uh, when Michael Shannon dies, the way that he dies, that's a very Guillermo del Toro type of death. Oh yeah. And one that I don't think fits with the fable tone of the film or the okay. fairy tale tone. Yeah. You know? And so I'm not saying like make it a PG 13 film or anything like that because the stuff with Michael Shannon's fingers, I think that does fit. 
uh, certainly yeah. from a symbolic standpoint. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think he's, he's bringing all this stuff in not realizing that, well, you're doing something different now and you need to adapt to that mm-hmm. or do a better job of adapting it to you. Um, you know, when you have Jen genuinely turned off by how similar it felt to Amelie, well, I don't know. I don't remember if she used the word ripoff, but like she is reminded of a very whimsical light as a feather film. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're going to try to evoke that, and I think there's no question that he is influenced by Jean-Pierre Genet. Mm -hmm. If you're going to try to evoke that, like you need to, you need to know what to do with it. And I think he evokes it really well, but I don't think he knows quite how to bring it into what he usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you in that, in that respect. Again, it didn't necessarily bother me the sex, the sex thing, but, um, but I guess I could see why it would bother other people. Yeah. And I don't know that it even bothered me either. It just felt like it, it felt a little out of place right. in this film. Um, so I guess for anyone who hasn't seen the film and is still listening or maybe uh, missed any kind of symbolism or something entirely, uh, should we address that it seems to specifically have a, I don't know, like do we need to address that? I mean, Mess- are, are we dancing around a message and not saying what it is? Well, there's a, there's a lot of messages in the film. Like yeah. one, one is about like, just, you know, having a heart for the marginalized, which is like, that's not a thing that bothers me. You know, the no. main characters are a disabled woman, a black woman, a gay man and a fish guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're all fighting against a white man. Mm -hmm. And so given, and, and it seems to have come out of based on stuff that del Toro has said, um, it seems to have come out of, uh, a certain rhetoric, uh, political rhetoric that people would say is very Trumpian Mm -hmm. and certainly very Mm alt-right. And I don't necessarily begrudge them that, but, uh, but then also, yeah, the, the nature of the sex scene, and we, we don't actually get the sex scene. She describes the right. sex later yeah. and the way she describes it is very like sort of like the fish man is adaptable mm-hmm. that like the specifics of his body make it so that he could probably have sex with either a man or a woman as needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he can adapt his body. And so there's, there could arguably be a little bit of transgender thing, uh, uh, messaging in there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in the film, uh, politically and socially. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that I I think that was a draw and a plus for a lot of audiences, especially a lot of critical audiences, um, that there was a very pro LGBT message in, uh, kind of wrapped up in a, uh, sci-fi fable, fantasy fables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he's del Toro says as much in his, uh, acceptance speech right. for the, for the, uh, best picture when it says to be able to tell, I, I can't remember the exact words, but he says something about like telling important stories or something, yeah. something yeah. that means like, you know, culturally relevant stories through, yeah. uh, uh, through genre. Um, 
which again is something I'm totally on board with. I think that's awesome. And, and I think it's great that he's doing that and that's sort of that uh, a film like that is being recognized. Um, even though it has genre elements, isn't it interesting though? Let me ask you this. Isn't this okay. The year before the film that won best picture eventually was moonlight, <laughs> um, moonlight, you know, uh, from an intersectional standpoint, you have a, a poor African-American kid who is also gay and he's mm-hmm. dealing with both of these things as he grows up. So that incorporates more overtly certain political and social issues. And yet it did not feel one iota preachy to me. Mm-mm. It it felt like it was so specific to this kid that I was genuinely angry when like conservative commentators would say like, Oh, it's all about intersectionality. I was like, yeah, I guess so. Or it's just about this kid whose story I find interesting. But when those same commentators, commentators discuss their issues with the shape of water, I see where they're coming from. Like somehow, you know, one of the great things about horror and sci-fi is that you can actually be more overt with your messaging because it's in the midst of much more extreme imagery. Uh, you know, you see the works of George Romero for examples of that. Um, but for some reason, the way this film does it, it almost seems not necessarily separate, but I, I definitely can, I can look at all of the artistic merit and there is a lot and I can look at its messaging and I can see how they work together, but I have a hard time, accepting both. Um, because I don't know, I think maybe is the messaging heavy handed. I think it could be a little bit. Uh, well, I think again, it goes back to this, this thing of the sex being in there that doesn't yeah. quite fit. I think that points people to it yeah. in a way that it wouldn't, if it wasn't there. Um, and it's funny to think like maybe if they had left that out entirely, would people even be talking about it as an, uh, a movie that's pro LGBT. I don't know if they would. I think they probably would if for no other reason than because of the Richard Jenkins character. Um, that's true. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. But, um, um, but I think if you left left out those two elements, even though the story would be much the same, I don't know if anybody would make that connection. So yeah, it could be that particularly the, the, the sex thing points people to that. And maybe that's why people, had stronger opinions about it. And I, myself, I have issues with the romance. I feel like Mm -hmm. they rush it a bit. Well, yeah, as I've said, I feel like they need two more scenes. You have two more scenes. Like oddly enough, the sex scene didn't necessarily bother me one way or another, but overall the romance romance felt rushed. So maybe in the same way that people I'm bothered by a rushed romance, other people are bothered by the sex scene. I wonder if they had taken more time to develop the relationship. And I recognize it's totally nonverbal. So there's only so much you can do, but, um, if they had spent maybe 10 more minutes, maybe not even that seven more minutes, two scenes Mm -hmm. developing this relationship, I might feel more fulfilled in the romance. And I wonder if more people would, would feel that the sex scene was earned and a natural progression and it wouldn't stick out in their minds quite so it much. It could be. Yeah, could be. But which speaks to maybe the idea that maybe Del Toro was so eager to get to the sex scene, was so eager to, you know, consummate this relationship and with it 
the themes of the film that he maybe did not get there the way that was most effective, mm-hmm. um, either emotionally or physically or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a complicated film. I wouldn't say it's a bad film by any stretch. I no, think it's, not at all. I think it's an achievement on a number of levels. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's take a look at some of these other, uh, some of these other best picture nominees. You got your darkest hour. You got your get out. Yeah. Your phantom thread. Oh yeah. Your three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Your call me by your name, Dunkirk, Lady Bird, and the post. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, okay. So going through these, I still haven't seen call me by your name by all accounts. I would like it. Um, I, I like all those actors and everything. I know this sounds weird cause I'm sure it's, it, it's more than just one performance. I've heard such great things about Michael Stuhlbarg in the movie. Oh, really? And I'm sure Army Hammer's great. Yeah. I'm sure Timothy Chalamet is great, but I'm such a fan of Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah. Uh, and I thought he was also very good in, in shape of water. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to see it if, if for him. Now, of course there are plenty of other reasons I want to see it, but he's kind of my, <laughs> my big draw. What's, I know that's silly. Is he the one? He was in three movies that are or for best pictures here, right? Yes. The po- is the post the third one? Yes. Uh, okay. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, um, I had not, I've not seen call, call me by your name. I saw all the other ones. Um, which of these did you see and not I, see? I saw all of them. I call me by your name is sitting on a shell. I have the screener. We'll and watch it together. It's it. It was the one that I didn't get to before the actual ceremony, and now that it's over, it's like harder Isn't that to get weird? the drive to see. It. I know. Like I am um, now in 2018 mode, and it's like, sorry, call me by your name. You had your chance. I know. Isn't I it? feel the same about a ghost story. I didn't see. I haven't seen a ghost story I yet. See. I'm sure I'll love it. Yeah. And I, I saw it only because uh, I was working on another project that someone said I should see it because it was, it yeah. was kind of connected. And the post barely made it under the wire also. That was yeah. another one. Because all the other ones I think I saw in the theaters. Um, almost. Oh, no. Three billboards I watched at home. Ugh, I'm glad I didn't spend money on that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, the thing is, I generally am not a huge fan of like small scale romance movies, I think. Okay. It, it, it's one of those ones I have to be in the mood for, you sure. know? And I think that's why that one ended up being last on the list for me. Right. I don't know if I would have seen darkest hour, except I got a screening of it that I went to. Um, yeah, it's, I find darkest hour to be so remarkably forgettable. Like I can see that. I, I think it benefits from coming out the same year as Dunkirk because it's the yes. political side of the same story. Yes. So to watch both of those films together is very interesting from a historical yeah. perspective. And um, it came out the same year as that movie Churchill with Brian Cox, which is awful. Really? Yes. Well, that, then there's a fun compare and contrast. There sure is. Um, um, yeah, it's, uh, but looking at these, my favorite, my favorite of these is Phantom Thread. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also really love Get Out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd say I love Dunkirk, but I really responded to it more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I was, I think Dunkirk was my favorite and I was not expecting it. I generally don't like war movies. Um, are you a Nolan fan? Uh, I feel like I'm a Nolan agnostic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like some of his stuff. I, I don't, I, I find it. 
I can see how people love his movies. That doesn't surprise me. The people who hate his films, I don't really understand. Like if they're not for you, that's fine. But there are people who hate him who like think he's a terrible film. Like there are all these people who really hate him and that, that doesn't really make sense to me. I, I really don't. That's the thing. I don't necessarily love him and him putting a movie out is not quite enough. I didn't see Dunkirk in the theater. Mm. Like him putting out a movie is not quite enough to get me to see the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, unless people say that I should see it. I do wind up seeing his movies anyway, simply one way or another, simply because I do a movie podcast and he is a big filmmaker in the, in the film critic, the online film critic community. Certainly. Well, it's rare that he has one that comes out that doesn't get get at least one sided praise. Like I feel like everything that comes out, there's at least some people that like it, whether it be a certain faction of audiences or whether it is critics or whatever. Um, and, and yeah, but when people are like, oh, I hate him. It's like, what, what do you hate about him? What's His ambition yeah. and that he mostly realizes like the fact yeah. that he's doing something that very few other filmmakers are doing and he's doing it on a grand scale, but doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to be influenced by that. Like he's not doing it just for its own sake. Like there's, yeah. even when he doesn't work for me, it's just like, well, I, I admire him a lot. Yeah. He's like in your in that way. Like there yeah. are people that hated the revenant. Yeah, that's the same way. And I don't understand what, the, I mean, if you don't like the movie, great. That's fine. Sure. You don't like the movie, but you, you can't act like he's a bad filmmaker somehow because of that film. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Dunkirk is a movie that I think if I had seen it in the theater, I think I might, it might be more effective mm-hmm. for me than it was, but it was pretty effective. I thought it was yeah. pretty great. Yeah. And I remember, so our friend Jason Eakin was dry, was, had picked me up and we were driving to our Oscar draft <laughs> or our, our awards draft. And the, I think the day before, a couple days before I had just seen three billboards, very few of these other films had come out, but Dunkirk had. Hmm. And Jason and I were just talking about the Oscars in general. And we were talking about how like, there's no clear front runner. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so we just sort of assumed this was Christopher Nolan's year almost mm-hmm. by default hmm. because nothing else was going to come along and unseat it. Yeah. Like w- n- neither of us expected shape of water to do what it did. Yeah. And if you look at the early critics awards, they were all over the place too. You yeah. Had Lady bird, Florida project, get out, uh, call me by your name, th- three billboard. Like you had it, it was <laughs> everywhere. I wonder if, if people felt like suddenly there were, they had license to do that after moonlight won best picture the year before. Maybe. Yeah. So they were like that. There's nothing that says best picture about that one from just looking at the, the, yeah. uh, the looking at it on paper. So, and especially hey, when it's up against La La Land. Right. So like, Hey, sure. Maybe lady bird could, could win best picture. Who knows? Um, but yeah, and then I, I wanted to like Lady Bird more than I did. There's a lot I like about it. Um, and I think it's still, I think it made its way into my top 15. I don't remember, maybe not, but, um, but yeah, I had really built it up in my mind and mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of Sarah Sharon and I like, I actually like the whole cast, but yeah. I wanted to, I think you liked it more than I did. I did. I liked it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then neither of us cared much for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That like, I think same, you like it even less than I do in the same way that I don't understand how people could hate Chris Nolan, Christopher Nolan. I don't understand how anyone could like this movie. And I've met a couple people who did and none of the, they, they didn't have anything to say to me that was like, that made me have to rethink yeah. the way I, I, I think like, 
maybe halfway through that movie, I because I, I had the screener at home, I paused it and I turned to my wife and I was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was because I saw a critic screening of it. I hadn't read any reviews by that time. There weren't very many. Mm-hmm. I had seen a trailer for it and I was like, this is a great cast. And it's like, yeah. hey, Martin McDonough, I love in Bruges. I didn't see Seven Psychopaths, yeah. but like, I love in Bruges. I'm like, here we go. Francis McDormand, are you kidding Sam Rockwell? Yeah. And within the first few minutes, I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't care for this. Yeah. And then I thought like, okay, I'm going to rearrange my thinking. This is not a film that is trying to evoke reality. It's trying to be a heightened version of things. It's like, okay, looking at it along those lines, I can forgive some of the dialogue flourishes. I can forgive some of the character flourishes. But from a plotting standpoint, like hinging so much on letters and voiceover, are you kidding me? Yeah. It, not only does it use a lot of these really bad kind of clunky tactics, but it doesn't have any, it, it doesn't follow any internal logic. It shifts from time to time based on what seems to need to happen to serve maybe a theme. I think he doesn't even know what the theme is. Like it sounds like he was set out to make a movie that takes place in small town America and has something sort of to do with women's rights and police brutality. But none of that is very clear. None of that is really served by the story. None of that has characters who can really really represent one or the other of those things, even the, and often like, I like the Sam Rockwell character for the last half of the movie, yeah. but the change that he has is totally perfunctory. And yeah. the person that he is before that is, right. is a character that anyone should be ashamed to have written. Well, and that's the thing is like, there are things about him in the first half that I really like, not that I like him, but I'm like, all right, they are making this character genuinely unpleasant and mm-hmm. like in a way that like he's not smart clearly he's not smart and he's aggressive put those together and he's an authority figure like mm-hmm. okay this is like a really solid type of villain and so to me i'm okay with what they're doing at the beginning and i like what they do in the second half i just don't believe the two ca- Sam Rockwell does what he can yeah. to bring these together and make me believe that it's the same guy. Mm-hmm. And I think he does an admirable job, but th- like I've been doing a lot more script consulting lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I just two days ago, I, I Skyped with, with this woman who had written a surprisingly good script and I was really excited for her. And the more I think of the script for three billboards, the more I'm like, if someone had given me this script, I would have so many notes for it. Yeah. I would not say, at no point would I say, so this is going to be up for an Oscar, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and be kind of a front runner for it up until a certain point. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, it was to the point where I was, I was almost like, if somebody told me, Josh, this has been a prank on you, then this, <laughs> this film is not real. No one really thought this was good. No one's taking it seriously. We are, we're all playing a big joke on you. I would have been like, thank goodness. And, you know, th- thankfully the night of the Oscars, it only won two. Yeah. Cause for a while it was a front runner to get to even win picture. But then when he wasn't up for director, that kind of went away. But like, it won supporting actor and lead actress. Supporting actor, 
I love Willem Dafoe in Florida Project. I would have liked if he had gotten it. I like the idea of Sam Rockwell having an Oscar because I've liked him for so long as yeah. an actor. Um, and I think he like does. I, I wish he had an Oscar for like Moon or something. I know. You know, like there are so many other ones. And But that is a common thread throughout the yes. Academy Awards is people who are like, this is a great actor. This performance is okay. I mean, that's uh, Gary Oldman. I mean, yeah, that's what people are were saying, including me, were saying about that. But, yeah. Even Frances McDormand, honestly. Not that she's doing... I, She's never a bad she, actor. She's always a good actress. I don't but think she's doing anything that special. That's in this movie. exactly. And I know there are so many other times where I've been. I mean, she blows me away in Fargo. That's like one of my favorite yeah. performances in all of film history. And stuff like Almost Famous. She's yeah. really solid. Yeah. There are moments here. There is a moment when she and Woody Harrelson. I think Woody Harrelson brings out the best in her. Hmm. And I think Martin McDonough, for the most part, when these two characters are talking, I think he knows how to write the two of them together. So good for him. And there comes a moment where Woody Harrelson character, his character sneezes and like blood comes out and you see a change in Francis. McCormick. Yeah. And in that moment, like, Oh yeah, that's what I like. But the rest of it's just this brassy, tough talking broad. And like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, to me that she really, I, maybe I shouldn't blame her. Maybe I should blame the material, but I feel like she didn't do much to enhance the material. Unlike Sam Rockwell. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would have loved now. Don't get me wrong. I still got my points because I had (laughs) Francis McDormand in my awards draft, but, um, I would have infinitely preferred Sally Hawkins to win Mm -hmm. or Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a mess. <laughs> and, and I think I, I am, am often one of the last people to complain about a, a film being like culturally insensitive or, sure. or, uh, uh, tone deaf. Cause, cause you're both of those. <laughs> um, well, I, I think it's more because people who have my political views are often accused sure. of being both of those things. Sure. So I'm, I'm often, I, I want to give people the benefit of a doubt when I hear an accusation like that, yes. but this is a film that deserves that uh, criticism, which it's gotten about its African American characters. Yeah. And like, I, you know what? I, I, I look forward to the day when we can see more, regular things with Peter Dinklage in them where people don't make jokes about him being a little person. Like it's in everything. I mean, the whole reason, like that's the thing is they, they have that in game of Thrones. I've seen very little of game of Thrones, but what I've seen is that like, you know, those characters are constantly using it against him and then he uses it as like motivation to go against them. So it's it's a real thing. I think it's used better there in, in game of Thrones, but like, in in this in this movie, it feels like Martin McDonough said, "Hey, if I cast him, we can throw in some jokes about him because it's not he, he doesn't yeah. have to be a little person for the the script, except for the jokes. Yeah, and um, there's no reason to make the jokes except that you have cast this person. That and then like, you know, I, I as I've gotten older, I don't require that a movie be super realistic or mm-hmm. anything like that. But what I'll say is the scene with Nick Cersei, who is in shape of water. And then he plays a, a, a priest in, um, uh, Manchester by the sea, uh, not Manchester by the sea. Um, three billboards outside of Missouri. Oh. Um, and in that priest scene, like that was, and that's pretty early. And mm-hmm. that was my first indication. Like, 
oh, this film has Aaron Brockovich syndrome, which is a phrase I've used before, which is other characters are there to set her up Mm -hmm. so that she can go on on a diatribe and show how sassy she is and how smart she is and how much smarter she is. Mm -hmm. And so everything about his character is setting her up for that. But the thing that got me was like, hey, Martin McDonough, if you had done a modicum of research, you would know Southern Missouri, not super Catholic. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. I'm not opposed to depicting someone as Catholic. Sure. Except they would be Baptist. Yeah. Or more specifically, Assembly of God. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's not a, a cultural insensitivity that people are complaining about as much, but it's definitely a, a culturally tone deaf approach to yeah. just the way that he presents Southern Missouri or the South in general right. or rural America. They're, it's like, they're clearly things he is very unfamiliar with. The script makes it blatantly obvious that he's very unfamiliar with them, but then right. makes no, uh, I don't know, makes no yeah. apology for it or anything. I don't like, know. Oh, you're going to hold our feet to the fire. How about this? I recognize that you are Irish and thus Catholicism probably plays a big role in your life culturally. But if you're going to light into another country, but go ahead, but at least have some idea of what you're talking about, you know, do research, do here's another thing that I happen to know that Jason told me about do a second draft. Yeah. He never does a second draft. Yeah. Boy, does it show. Yeah. And it just, and it just lets me know how much of a fluke in Bruges. is. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny too, cause I've seen some of his theater and I, he's written one of my favorite plays I've ever seen. Okay. Um, so I know that at, at least at times that has worked out really well Yeah. with his theater. Um, but I think sometimes within the context of theater, you can do something that's very much smaller scale and yeah. that speaks to a very specific thing. So you can do, uh, Sometimes a first draft can be just deep, deep work into one core idea. Yeah. And that could, in theory, work well. And I also think that the tone he strikes is one that works better in theater. Like things are, characters are bigger. Things are a little bit broader. And I recognize that sometimes you can go like Eugene O'Neill and be very, or Arthur Miller and be smaller, like with Death of a Salesman, be a bit more specific. But you can also be bigger like the characters in three billboards. If he had made the, if this were a play, I think I still wouldn't like it structurally, but I think I would buy a lot, uh, buy it a lot more. Could be tonally. Um, but this, we're not talking about, we're not meant to talk about three <laughs> billboards. I knew yeah. we were going to, Yeah. but, um, so yeah, so of the best picture nominees, um, I think over shape of water, I probably would have gone with Dunkirk. I probably would have gone with, uh, maybe not get out. There's a lot I like about get out, but I'm not sure from a best picture standpoint, if I would go with that, I, mm-hmm. I do adore phantom thread like yeah. so much. And I like that everything about it. See like darkest hour, everything about it is like an old time Oscar movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like everything about it. Sure. And then it just is that mm-hmm. phantom thread. Everything about it seems like an old time Oscar movie. Right. And, and then it subverts not. that right. many times over, which, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, I think that was one of the main things I liked about it. And it's, it's interesting to see PT Anderson kind of, uh, 
shifting away from his general tendencies. Like yeah. this is such a small movie compared to like Boogie Nights or Magnolia or one of these. Oh yeah. Or uh, even the master. Yeah. Or <laughs> inherent vice. I mean, many of his movies are so big and everything yeah. just to, to focus so much on really just two people. I mean, you've got a third supporting character, yeah. but it, the, the bulk of this movie is not only about these two characters, but is just with, you know, time with these two characters and he just strikes such an off kilter tone like that score by johnny greenwood i is love just, that score it's marvelous but it's like it's it's unsettling mm-hmm. and yet beautiful it's i don't know it's really great um but yeah so uh and then i i really like the post it's not a perfect film but it happens to push a lot of thematic buttons that I mm-hmm. like. And I think Meryl Streep's great in it. Um, so there's another person that I would give best actress to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I'd probably put Francis McDormand dead last because as much as I'm not a huge fan of I, Tanya, I think Margot Robbie deserved it more than, than Francis McDormand. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. So looking at other 2017 releases, um, notable films, the big sick, uh, personal shopper, which I didn't see. I saw personal shopper. I, I liked it. It's, it's not a, best picture movie okay. but it's a good uh if you're in an olivia is it a say yes or a, i don't know how you pronounce say yes is how it's I, say yes? yeah. okay um uh, if you're a fan of his i think that's some of his very good work i like the lost city of z more than you do more mm-hmm. than our friend jason but uh and in many ways like if that were just if that film were twisted just a little bit one way or another like that's an oscar type of movie yeah I'd see um that. did you see the beguiled I didn't. I really wanted to, and I still haven't. I love it so much. It's the same thing where I missed it then, and now I'm thinking 2018. Who cares? (laughs) Um, And then I didn't see a ghost story. Uh, Detroit seems like the kind of film that could have been uh, a best picture type thing. Something must. Mother, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think on paper, mother would be, and in reality, everyone was afraid to touch that. Um, I still kind of respect mother. Oh, I definitely I do too. It. Like I, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about it, but I like it more. I mean, I like it more than three billboards. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's uh, when, when Aronofsky talks about it, he talks about it being kind of a primal scream. Yeah. And I think it works on that level. It kind of, yeah. it, it feels like that. And I don't think that's a problem. Um, and I, th- I think you could describe three billboards that way as well. Like it definitely seems like a guy who's just like angry mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, that's fine. But good Lord, I never thought I would describe mother as being more organized than anything else, <laughs> but it is more than three billboards. Yeah. Um, so Blade Runner 2049, I mean, it's a sci-fi movie and it's a sequel. It didn't make a lot of money, but I, I think it's a remarkable achievement. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I thought it was pretty great. And Deacon's got the, he did get cinematography and I think it also got visual effects. Yeah. Um, I do think, you know, I think a lot of movies probably benefited from the moonlight thing. I think Lady Bird probably did. Yeah, definitely. It would have been nice if Florida project had, cause I really do yeah. love Florida project. Yeah. Um, and that and wouldn't, have, that, it, that almost seems like maybe that would have got in, uh, to the nominations before maybe even get out or something. Yeah. Um, or something that's as, uh, it's unfair to call it Oscar Beatty, but something like the post that seems like the type of right. one I, I could see something like that or darkest hour, maybe getting booted right. for a Florida project, but that didn't happen. Um, and then movies like the greatest showman, which, uh, made a lot of money and it's a big crowd pleaser. I don't necessarily love the movie, but I don't hate it either. Um, I enjoy parts of it quite a bit. 
That's um, one of the ones on this list that I, th- this, this list of the ones that came out this year seems to be split between ones I saw ones. I was like, Oh, I didn't get around to that. Or ones that I'm like, I'm never going to see that. And I'm totally fine with it. And greatest showman. I have no desire to see that film. I don't know. It was definitely a movie pass movie yeah. uh, for me. And, and also I do just in general, I like Hugh Jackman, no matter I do what too. he's doing. Yeah. Um, and like between this and Logan, like boy, very different types of performances, <laughs> very different movies. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so looking at, looking at this, I don't know if there's anything that I would choose instead of shape of water, at least, you know, I mean, I think an argument could definitely be made for Dunkirk, maybe even get out and, and also phantom thread. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm mostly fine with it getting best picture. Um, I don't think certainly when we incorporate the, the, the themes and the, and the script, I think it's not quite the sum of its parts, but those parts are so great. Mm. Like it really is a, a visual marvel. I, I did not see it in the theater. I saw a screener and I yeah, wish that I, did I had. I. Yeah. I wish that I had. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we'll go ahead and, and leave it there. Listeners, you're welcome to, to chime in. This uh, mini-sode, unsurprisingly, uh, is not that many. It's <laughs> almost an hour, which doesn't surprise me. Anytime we talk about a newer yeah, that always best picture winner, it happens. But anyway, uh, so yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.